Good morning. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and what an honor it is to have as our guest this morning, Mr. Tucker Carlson. I've been a fan of Tucker for years on uh, various uh, cable news shows, but it's a, such a thrill that he's on at 8 o'clock every night on the Fox News Channel with Tucker Carlson tonight. Uh, Tucker also is an entrepreneur. He started The Daily Caller as the editor-in-chief, and uh, it's a very successful site. Tucker, your book, uh, I was thrilled to see pushed Bob Woodward out of number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Amazon says that they're having trouble filling the orders. It's flying off the shelf so fast. This is Ship of Fools, how a selfish ruling class is bringing America to the brink of revolution. Tucker, why does the ruling class hate the American working class so much? Why do they want to replace it with immigrants as Bill Kristol openly uh, uh, champions? Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of the central question. I think there are a couple reasons for it. But let me just note, as I think I've read you right, um, this is the only revolution in anyone's memory waged against the working class, not on its behalf. <laughs> I mean, typically, <laughs> you know, revolutions are supposed to be for the unemployed machinists in Toledo. And now, of course, we're trying uh, to make him. That's a, I think there are a couple of reasons. But the, I mean, you know, they're inconvenient, they complain. They're living proof that the policies of the people in charge have failed. I mean, if you're running a country and your middle class is dying, like you are demonstrably a failure. And so, you know, you want to get rid of that evidence as fast as you can. But I also think there's something deeper going on, which is that technology has eliminated a lot of the value in labor. So in, you know, 1947, no politician could attack the working class. That was the heart of the country. I mean, that was you know, our industrial base needed workers to build things. And now we have an economy based on finance and technology promises to replace, you know, a huge percentage of those people who still work with their hands. And so actually, labor isn't worth much anymore. And so it doesn't matter. You can attack people you don't need, and they are. And it's disgusting because the point of leadership is not simply to reap its benefits, but to, to rise to its obligations. And the first obligation is to the people beneath you. If you're a parent, your obligation is to your kids. If you're an officer, it's to your troops. I mean, if you're a CEO, it's to your employees. And if you're the U.S. government, it's to your citizens. And so there's something not just unimpressive, but something immoral about their failures, in my opinion. Well, I think you're exactly right. And, and when we look at uh, Silicon Valley, for example, the, as part of the working class, it seems like the government, maybe for the first time in history, has outsourced the police state to these private companies exactly. so that we have to worry about Google and the, and uh, Facebook and the rest of them. That's exactly right. And if you're a kind of conventional conservative, like I have been for most of my life, you've been, I'm 49, so I grew up in the Reagan era, and I was trained to believe that the singular threat to our liberty was government. That's what Reagan said. He's probably right at the time. And it takes a while, if you've grown up believing that, to readjust to the new reality, which is, no, the singular threat to your freedom, to your freedom of association, certainly to your freedom of speech, to your ability to think, is technology. It's the big tech companies, Google primarily, but it's also Facebook and Twitter and, and the rest. A simple question. Who knows more about you, Google or the Social Security Administration? There's no, there's no contest. And one, you know, Google is a company in the history of the world. I'm not really surprised that conservatives still defend it because they've been so trained by, 
libertarian economists and the Chamber of Commerce to kind of bow down to any company because that's capitalism in the free market or whatever the slogan is. But I'm really surprised and horrified that the left has given up its longstanding position that concentrations of power, corporate power, are a threat to a democracy. They were right, absolutely. I laughed at them. I shouldn't have. They were right. And now they've decided to enter this bargain with corporations where the companies fund left-wing activism in exchange for spending all criticism of their greed and power accumulation. It's really, it's turned, it's completely changed my politics, I'll tell you that, because I think it's, it's real, it's a threat. And we have that 85-page uh, document just leaked in the last couple of days where Google admits that they, of course, want to abolish free speech, and they want to be in control of the abolition. Well, they're, they're embracing what they euphemistically call the European tradition. And of course, that's a tradition without a Bill of Rights, without a First Amendment. And that's a, you know, there's no greater threat, I would say, to our democracy than these companies. The remarkable thing is that we think, I mean, we should have seen this coming, but we've been trained to believe that these are American companies because they're primarily staffed by Americans. They were incubated at partly at taxpayer expense on the campus of Stanford. They could only have grown in a country with a legal system, with a patent system like ours. So America made these companies possible, but they're not American. They're multinational corporations that have no loyalty to our country or the, our government. They are, in fact, owned by foreign countries in large part, by the sovereign wealth funds of nations that hate us or are our rivals. So, in fact, they're foreign entities in our midst which control almost all information in English. So by definition, why is that not a terrifying reality? It is. And I, 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 I'm not sure why more people aren't saying that, but they should be. And wasn't there a section of the Communications Decency Act that gives them a special privilege that they're now violating and nobody seems to even know about it or care about it? On your show, if you accuse somebody of a crime, or if someone says it on your show, if I say it right now, you are liable for that. You can be sued. Google cannot be. If we plan some crime on Gmail, they can't be held accountable. That's because they have an exemption under the Decency Act, which gives them immunity from that. In exchange, they say, we are not a media organization. We don't edit the content. We're, we're a conduit through which information flows. We're a neutral platform, and that's how they describe themselves. That's a lie. And now we have documents showing it's a lie. They edit content. They, Google is a news, among other things, it's a news organization. It edits content. It decides what you can see and what you can't. So the Republicans are in charge of the Congress. They should be protecting the population from this obvious risk, but they're not. Mike Lee, senator from Utah, is the chairman of the Senate Subcommittee on Antitrust. Well, Google is obviously a monopoly. It's got a monopoly on search. So I brought this up to him, why aren't you doing something about this? And he looked kind of embarrassed and muttered something about the free market or capitalism, neither of which applies, of course, to Google, but whatever. That was a talking point and kind of moved on. The truth is, the public is not being protected from this threat because there's a bipartisan agreement that Google's interests are more important than those of the population. That kind of tells you everything right there. Do you think, as, as uh, rumor has it, that the CIA had something to do with starting Google and funding it in the beginning? I, I I can't speak to that precisely, but I know that government has intersected with the growth of the tech sector at every turn. I mean, there's a 
there's a reason that Amazon might move to Northern Virginia, and that's because the U.S. government, after 9-11, expanded the information-carrying capacity, the pipeline, in Northern Virginia at public expense in order to protect the country from terrorism. So there is, uh, you know, there's one, there are many examples of these companies piggybacking on federally funded military projects, defense projects, and turning a profit. I mean, this is a long-standing kind of tradition where, of course, I mean, where does government begin? Where does the company end? It's not always clear. It's not clear at Raytheon or Boeing. It's not clear at Google. And yet again, these are not American companies. Google has just yesterday pulled itself out of the running to work with DOD on, on a project because it said working with the Defense Department, the American Defense Department, is inconsistent with its corporate values. And yet they're full speed ahead on catering to the government of China, the fascist government of China, in its efforts to suppress free speech within China. So, I mean, their loyalty is not to our government. This is a foreign entity, and I think we should start to see it that way. <laughs> no, you're exactly right, of course. And it's, it seems to be true of the entire tech sector, all left-wing. Yes. And uh, as you pointed out, some of the billionaires behind all of this are uh, considered to be on the right as well as on the left. I mean, we've got the Kochs as well as George Soros. You point this out in your book. Look, if you're in charge of something, again, whether it's a family or a company or a country, you have to be all in. That's why the captain goes down with the ship, because that's an assurance to the rest of us. He's the captain. He's got his own quarters. He's got better food. But in the end... If something goes wrong, he takes full responsibility for it. And that's the way human society's successful ones have always been organized. If you reap the benefits, you have to take the risk. And we've disaggregated risk from benefits all up and down our society, in the banking sector most famously, but also in our political sector and our, and our tech sector. So in other words, these guys are running companies that hurt the country, our country. And yet, if our country goes south, like how many of them have foreign passports? How many of them see themselves as America? How many of them think nationalism is even a legitimate category? None. You know what I mean? Like they're not <laughs> no. loyal to America, and yet they have enormous power over America. That's that's a very that's a system that cannot continue. Why do they hate Trump so much? I mean, such bitter, bitter hatred that I've never seen in my lifetime. Well, it's not ideological, and. This was something it took me a while to figure out because I am ideological. You know, I'm interested in ideas and I'm not a deep intellectual, but I see the world through the lens of ideas, just as my nature. And so I was baffled by this for the first couple of months, even during the campaign. It's like Trump on the merits is the most moderate Republican, most liberal Republican we've ever elected, mm-hmm. that's for sure. He's a casino owner from New York City. Are you kidding? <laughs> So he's the opposite of an evangelical. That was always their fear, that we'd get a theocracy, that Pat Robertson would take control and turn it into a handmaid's tale or whatever. We got Trump instead, and they hate him much more. They like Mike Pence, the actual evangelical, more. Why is that? Really simple. It's not about ideas. It's not about policies. They don't care about that. What they care about is evading personal responsibility for the disasters they've created. So Trump's main sin is the fact that they can't control him, and he's likely to say anything. Trump's one gift, Trump is obviously not a deep thinker. I'm not attacking him. I'm not a deep thinker either. Trump's main gift is being able to smell what's true, the obvious true things, 
and, and say it out loud or ask a question about it. He asked questions like, well, why do we have NATO? I thought the point of NATO was to keep the Soviets from invading Western Europe. They don't exist. Why do we still have it? Why are we still in Afghanistan? We've been there 17 years. It's not succeeding. Why are we still there? So the threat that Trump poses is really simple. He calls them on their failures. He asks questions that, for some reason, no one has asked, the most obvious of all questions. Like, why are we signing trade deals and not making the other signatories live up to them? That's not a complex question. I don't understand much about trade, speaking for myself, but I recognize that as a legitimate question. We're, we've got tr- troops on the Korean Peninsula. They've been there since 1950. The Koreans are not paying us for that. We're protecting them from being invaded, but they're not paying in. Why is that? Maybe there's a good reason. I don't know. Why are we still in Afghanistan? I don't know. Maybe there's a good reason. Speak slowly so I can understand what that reason is. <laughs> they won't engage because they don't have an answer. Their answer is shut up racist. So Trump's main threat to them is he's the one guy who doesn't care if you say shut up racist. He's like, yeah, whatever. What's the answer? And that thing, that quality of his above any other is why they hate him. And it's also why they hate the people who elected him. And that's what's different, and that's what's so shocking to me. I, I think you're absolutely allowed to hate Trump or any other politician. I, I think it's okay. I don't like politicians, and I spent my life covering them. They're horrible. So I think it's totally legitimate to dislike a politician, for sure. What's not legitimate is to ignore the concerns of your fellow Americans and attack them for asking to be represented or asking to have their questions answered legitimately or for voting for a candidate. You can't. If you find yourself like truly hating half the country, the problem is with you, not with them. Tucker Carlson, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show this morning. You're, uh, as always, uh, doing a great job for America and for uh, the future of this country, if indeed it has a future. You point out so many things, the growing violence that uh, only a few of us seem to care about. Your show's terrific. Your book is outstanding. You're a brilliant writer as well as a brilliant uh, talker. So it's just a thrill to have you on the show. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And we're, and we're going to sell some copies of your book. I'm, I'm honored to come on. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tucker. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you. <laughs>